You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. There are things that happen, and in the moment or even in the days, weeks, months following it, our bodies are so amazing that they start to make up for deficits or things like that that we might not even realize. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. This is Charlie Gilkey from the Productive Flourishing Podcast, and this is going to be an episode jointly recorded by me and Angela. Hi, Angela. Hi, I'm really glad to be back. It's only been for forever. <laughs> yeah, we had to look, and our last podcast was released on March the 25th, 2021. And I can tell you Ooh. there's been so much going on in the world of PF. That as we started to think about what today's show might be, um, and started thinking about all those updates, it's like, okay, that's like six shows. <laughs> Listeners, last year, you may remember that our podcast actually got long. We ended up having a Thanks COVID series about all the updates. And so I can assure you, we have another long series of updates, or at least one long one. We'll figure that out. But we did not want today's podcast to be 90 minutes of updating you on all things PF. And instead, we're going to talk about something more personal. And it guides a lot of the decisions that we've made with Productive Flourishing between the app, between the book, between how we've grown our team. Um, but we thought that this one would be really more, much more universal and personal. So we decided to go there. In which case, we're going to start and I'll let Angela explain really... Um, what you can expect from her as far as the conversation today. Thanks, Charlie. So before we get started on what it is we're actually sharing today, um, I will go ahead and just let you know up front that we are going to be talking about my concussion rehabilitation and what I have been going through since July. And what's really important to say up front is that while I am certainly getting better, and have seen some great progress even just in the last couple of weeks, that my brain does not work the way I am used to it working. Uh, and I can sometimes get tired much more easily than I think I'm going to. So we'll see how my energy holds. And as well, I am not thinking near nearly as linearly as I might at times. So um, Charlie is going to be um, an amazing co-host with me here today and try to keep me on track. <laughs> but as um, anyone who has dealt with a traumatic brain injury before knows, um, you don't always know what the minute, hour, day, or week is going to look like for you uh, when you're going through the, the toughest part of the rehabilitation. So heads up, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> As I've explained what Angela's going through to so many different people, obviously there's a, a lot of different aspects going on here. But one of the things that I tell them is that it's like she has all the same ideas and sometimes richer ideas, mm -hmm. but not in any real order or in any sense of time. So we might be in a conversation and the thread has gone like gone on for five or ten different minutes, but then there's this other thing that she remembers as part of the conversation from five or ten minutes ago that will sort of insert itself in the conversations. And so it's been um, an interesting process for us both to mm -hmm. really sort of navigate that because we want those ideas come to come as they come. And there have been some confusing moments where I'm like, wait, what what are we talking about again? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's certainly been confusing for Charlie and interestingly it's been confusing for me too. It's it's really interesting when I I feel like in general I have a fair amount of awareness about myself, um much more than I had 5 years ago, 10 years ago. <coughs> Or definitely, you know, 15, 20 years ago. However, um, 
I find myself in the moment sometimes where even I am confused about the way I am communicating (laughs) or thinking about things. And so um, it's, it's this strange, um, there's just these strange moments that happen sometimes where, as Charlie was mentioning earlier on, um, some things are actually more clear at times to me than I feel like they have been. But my communicating them <laughs> to someone else, not so much always. There's also been this interesting thing with, say, Corey on the team, because Corey can have a lot of great ideas. He can get super bouncy and he has ADHD as well. Um, and when he gets excited, he loses precision in his language. This is a common pattern about a lot of us. We, we do that. And so as we've been in conversations, like there'll be some excitement, there'll be some imprecision, and then Angela will join in on it. And then it's like, wait a second, I don't know that we're talking about the same thing anymore. <laughs> right. Or I don't know that we're talking clearly. So it's, it's been really interesting. We might have Corey on actually to talk about his journey with ADHD and mm-hmm. what he's learned with the team and what we've learned from working with someone um, who has, it's not the first time we've had someone who's had ADHD on the team. Mm-hmm. It's just been at a point to where we've been especially introspective and reflective about it because it's helped us think about how we share our material, how we're building the app, how I'm writing the book. So we're really um, baking neurodiversity much more into our work front and center. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where one of those things where it really doesn't matter who's at the table about so many different things. So having someone who's a part of development that is speaking up about his ADHD. Oh, she has ADHD as well. And so she's been dealing with that. But now we're talking about Angela with the um, brain capacity that she's got, um, Mm -hmm. which is going to be a conversation we'll get into in just a second. It's really important. So, so many of these things have actually reintroduced themselves back into the work. Mm -hmm. And I say reintroduced because this is not our first journey when it comes to this. So it might be useful um, to talk about your history with traumatic brain injuries, because a mm-hmm. lot of people are like, oh, she had a concussion this year. It's like, actually, this is a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's almost hard to know where to start with this, but I'll just, you know, I guess where to start is we are pretty sure that this is likely my eighth serious traumatic brain injury um, or serious concussion. And I know for some people hearing that, it's just, it's it's a bit mind-blowing um, to hear that. And um, for other people, if this is a journey that they have been on as well, um, they might get it or, you know, <laughs> anywhere in between. So, um, as far as we know, and I say as far as we know, because that's part of the journey we're on right now, I actually likely had my first traumatic brain injury uh, when I was still um, an adolescent, actually, um, in sports. But it wasn't diagnosed at the time. Um, You know, thinking back to the 1980s, (laughs) let's say that that wasn't something that was paid attention to in the way that it is nowadays. Um, So going through that, you know, another, um, at least another one or two in my teenage years and early 20s, a couple of more in uh, the grad school time frame, and then really uh, thinking about just this last decade is where when I when I take a step step back and I think about the the major um, TBIs that I have had, I can really see where things started to shift and change for me. And I do think it started earlier on probably in my 20s, but as I've been realizing just in the last few weeks, um, I think it was the concussion that came from our car accident in 2011, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, or 2012, I'm not sure, um, that actually was probably the one that it, if there have been a couple of edges <laughs> or precipice, precipice, I don't know. How do you say that? Precipices. Precipices. Oh, that's a word. That's a word. Um, 
That was probably one of the first major ones where some real neural deficits uh, were starting to occur. But um, as Charlie can attest to, because we were in that car accident together, the focus after that accident was actually more so on our neck and back injuries. And while we knew that I had a concussion, it wasn't a focus of the rehabilitation afterwards. So um, it, anyway, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump forward to um, two years ago, I had two other pretty, pretty big concussions. Uh, one, I think the first one two summers ago was actually the big doozy of one. And then I followed it up about a month or two later with another one that was not so good either. But what I have realized with the help of the therapists that I'm working with now, and it has been eye-opening and in some ways... um, It's it's made me sad and upset in a lot of ways, but it's also given a lot of um, verification or validation in other ways that I have actually been dealing with some neural to visual deficits for probably 10 years now, and I didn't know it at the time because we were focused on the neck, the back rehabilitation, and not so much what had happened with the with the head bump. So sharing that because I think part of what we may continue to talk about here in this conversation is there are things that happen and in the moment or even in the days, weeks, months following it, our bodies are so amazing that they start to make up for deficits or things like that, that we might not even realize. And so for me, it was really just this tip over the edge this summer in July with the TBI that happened this July that we, uh, Charlie was noticing some pretty significant uh, patterns that were happening. And there were things that were supposed to be getting better on certain time frames, and they were not. In fact, some of them were getting worse, where um, Charlie was just an absolutely amazing advocate for me because I did not have the capacity to advocate for myself. And working with my doctor, who is amazing, to get me in to see a specialist um, and a neurologist. And It actually took us months um, to get me in to see who I needed to see and for them to then um, refer me out to a whole host of specialists that I'm currently working with. Okay, so a few things here. Um, One of the screening things that people use, many doctors use for TBIs and concussions is did you black out? Oh, yep, yep. And while that is a clear sign that there has been something going on, y'all, you can have TBIs without blacking out, mm-hmm. without fainting, without throwing up. Like the range of what counts as a concussion is much broader than many people screen for. Yeah. And science is getting better on this. Medical science is getting better on this. But mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons we didn't catch it earlier on is when they look at those screenings, like, did you black? Did you faint? Did you black out? Did you throw up? And it was like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. But there weren't questions like, is your vision blurry mm-hmm. or and, or just things like that. So um, if you yourself or your loved ones have done something where there's been a pretty significant jolt, like a whiplash scenario, mm-hmm. or they've bumped their head or they've done anything, like, please, please, please talk to your doctors. And if they ask those typical screening questions... Um, you can say no to those, but explore what's happening. If you notice your partner yeah. um, just not on top of things in the same way or have a lot of headaches following, 
there's just so many things that are um, things and I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming any of our doctors. Mm-mm. Right. Um, I'm just saying the range for what can count as a TBI is hard. And that's actually, as Angela was saying that I was noticing, I was like, well, I know she didn't have those things, but she has these other things. And, you know, I'm super lucky as we, as we say all the time that I've been well-trained by the U S army <laughs> to notice different things going on with my soldiers and troops. And I'm like, mm, something's up with my troop here, right? She's not on point in the same ways. Um, and so we'll come back to that in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece here is um, as you start getting TBIs, you become more prone to them. Yeah. And one of the things that I was noticing is Angela's balance issues and proprioception and things like that. She was having a lot of... Um, just random head bumps, right? Um, because she didn't know where she was. And so that was actually aggravating things. So if you count major ones, mm-hmm. it might be eight. But if you count the number of times she hit her head just this year. It's more than that. It's way more than that. Yeah. And y'all, like, it was getting to the point to where, like, um, we may need to have a podcast episode about this, but we converted our garage into a gym. Mm-hmm. And we had to go through a lot of intentional design just to make sure that there were no places where she might hit her head. And we had to go through and redesign a lot of our home to limit that um, because of some other issues, which we now know are um, um, concurrent effects of having traumatic brain injuries, just not knowing where your brain is. Right. And so all of that is what led to the summer's pop where, you know, she was flipping a chair up on a vehicle or flipping a seat up on a vehicle and it came flying up and just really clocked her. Um, So, um, that's the second piece that I want to say. You sort of jumped forward to your therapist, but then you came back around to it. Um, I want to at least highlight how intensive this concussive rehab program is, because it's not like yeah. just going to a therapist once a week. Yeah. It's a whole thing that NPF land is most definitely a project. So, mm-hmm. Angela, tell us a little bit more about that post-concussive rehab or whatever you want to call this 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 regimen that you're on. Yes. Um, Not surprising here. I'm going to ask you, can you hold that for just one second? Okay. Because I have something else I wanted to to just kind of tie back into what you were sharing. Um, I wanted to share this piece of it because Charlie touched on it, but I don't think that most people understand how common concussions and TBIs are. Um, And how much further the research has come in the last decade or so on the treatments that are available, how quickly they are needed. And also, um, again, I am not an expert in this. Charlie is not an expert in this. But obviously, because of my background as a researcher, I've done reading. Um, Again, not an expert. But about how concussions can look different in men and women. Um, and about, you know, things such as like the structure of a woman's neck and how that differs and how concussions might differ because of those things. So I'm just sharing this because I really want to touch in very strongly on that point that Charlie mentioned early on, that there's so much more that we know now. And if you are dealing with this or someone else is dealing with this and you don't feel like you're getting the feedback, the support you need from that first medical provider, there are are more of them out there now than there ever have been who can help with diagnosing concussions and figuring things out. There's also so many resources out there now. Okay. Um, Hold on. No, no, no. I'm going to work on my short-term memory. I think I'm going to remember, let me, what you were just asking about. Did it have something to do with PF resources? Nope. No? Shoot. Okay, remind me. Sorry. I'm still holding on to it, but one thing I'm going to say real quick is, and and what made this awkward from a diagnostic perspective, Mm -hmm. is really intense mood swings and Mm. really articulated. So she would go from zero to like 120 super quickly. Um, A lot of times in women, that would be attributed to hormonal sort Mm -hmm. of scenarios it was all mental. So I was like, she's got these really intense mood swings yep. that are unlike her. And she's 
like mad and irritated a lot more than she normally is. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were no, there was no sort of hormonal sort of chemical sort of basis to it. Um, And so one of the awkward things is as her husband, which let's be clear here, so many changes in women get attributed to hormonal stuff, rightly so Mm -hmm. that there could be other things going on that never get considered. Um, and so it's really awkward to be like, so your mood swings, mm-hmm. let's talk about why you're so mad or frustrated. And there may have been things going on, but just the level of aggro and the level of how quick it would go there was always sort of the issue. And so, again, notice your people, especially women, like we don't need to go on this whole rant about how little medical research is done on... Um, women who don't are not already displaying all sorts of other things. Like so much of this brain injury research comes from men in mm-hmm. sports. Yep. Um, and that's a particular scenario, right? Um, but not women. And that's, that's a whole other thing. So I'm trying to get back on it. But what I asked you to remember. Well, and the head hits yeah. can change your hormones. It too. can change your hormones. So it's, it, yeah. Anyway, please continue. Um, give people a lay down of what this post-concussive rehab program oh, looks yes. like. Okay. All right. So you all just saw an example of short-term memory (laughs) Um, and some things I'm contending with right now. Um, So I am, I believe this is week five of the actual concussion rehab program. And my neurologist, uh, when we went to see her a couple of months ago, Um, had referred me to a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, a neuropsychologist, another person that does something with sports medicine and and brain stuff, and I'm I'm not remembering what their actual title was, um, to go see my ophthalmologist. I may be rem- I may be forgetting something. Anyway, so as you're seeing, there's already you know five or six other <laughs> specialists on board here, and um, there have been weeks. Um, fortunately, thank goodness for me, there's only been one week thus far, but it was a week where I had eleven medical appointments, eleven. And for those of you who um, Well, I'm guessing most of you have been to a medical appointment, but for those of you who have been to multiple medical appointments a week before, especially if you're someone who deals with chronic issues or things like that, you know how much time it can take to get ready to go there, to drive there, to be at the appointment, to wait if your provider is running behind, to have the appointment, to get yourself back home from the appointment and try to get settled back in. It's a thing, and it can be a thing, depending how far the provider is, what the appointment is. And so there have been other weeks where, fortunately, I've only had, you know, um, I have four appointments this week, but it's Thanksgiving week and people are off for three days. So that's kind of a lot of appointments. (laughs) Um, You know, other weeks where I've had five to seven medical appointments. And so I, in the midst of this... Um, have also still been trying to work. And so I think, Charlie and I, you and I will probably talk a little bit about that and what what all we've seen and, and how we've been recreating structures or bringing structures back to light um, to help support what's going on here. Yeah, I'll hold that, but you sort of glossed over that. There's a particular aspect about these appointments that make them particularly challenging. They're absolutely exhausting. In what way? In what way? Um, There's many ways that they're exhausting. Um, One is that, you know, for instance, I'll just, I'll specifically talk to an occupational therapy appointment right now. Um, Because earlier on in this process, a few weeks back, they were able to really hone in on what parts of my brain um, were having problems connecting There are specific eye exercises that they're having me do. And you hear, eh, eye exercises. Anyone who's done eye exercises knows they're exhausting. But when your right and left eye are not seeing the same thing 
and they are not speaking to each other in whatever way. Those of you who are like neurosurgeons or brain people are going to be like, oh, God, this woman does not know what she's talking about in the way I'm describing it, but I'm describing it in the way I understand it. They're not talking to each other. Um, And so what I'm seeing is not actually what is there in the world. It's just off enough. But they are trying to rewire and rework this one tiny little thing to actually work properly. And it is utterly exhausting. It, it is exhausting on the physical level, but on the emotional and mental level too. You are seeing day after day what it is that you can't do that you used to be able to do and not even have to think about. And so it's physically exhausting, but it is emotionally and spiritually. um, There are days where I felt devastated, just to be honest. Um, The emotional piece of it was so hard to hold at times. Um, Yeah. Yeah, one of the more challenging conversations that we had to have when we were doing some of this process was um, communicating to the providers Angela's level of intelligence and oh, what she yeah, had part. been able to do. And it turns out that it really, really mattered. Um, and so um, Angela's always had a high IQ and been able to do a lot of things like in her head. So she, of the two of us, Angela has always been the air math person, right? Where I'd be like, hey, Angela, I need you to multiply these, you know, three digits by these other four digits. And she work it out in her head and tell me what the answer was. So she was like our walking calculator. Um, that, now that I'm thinking back, stopped around the car accident. Yep, right? sure did. But that's just one of those things. Like, there's a reason she has a PhD in National Science Foundation grants and things like that. We don't talk a lot about it because, you know, I'm humility and everything. But it turns out in this scenario, um, there are different standards that they use for people on different scales. And so because she didn't say that earlier, she didn't know that she needed to, and I wasn't there being like, hey, you need to tell people this. Um, she reached sort of the level of performance that's good for a lot of folks. And I know this sounds really awkward to say, but it's yeah. one of those things you got to know about. And they sort of released her in the previous version of us doing this. I'm like, oh, you're, you're back to normal functioning. But this time around, we had to say, here's what the normal functioning was. And here's where we are now. Yeah. And that made all the difference in, in how they're evaluating. So, Angela, you want to – I know it's awkward to talk about this. It's awkward to talk about it on the podcast. But yeah. we're here, and it's important for, for our creative giants to know because you might be in that same situation and not know that you need to advocate for yourself in this way. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you bringing that up. And you're right. It's something that I've been pretty quiet about because I don't – I I just – feeling like feeling boastful or anything like that just doesn't feel good to me but it it really is important and it's been a really big piece of why the doctors I don't want to say they paid more attention this time but we gave them better information right um I had Charlie with me as an advocate especially at the very beginning with these appointments because I didn't feel like I always had the energy or capacity to advocate for myself or even to remember the things I needed to tell the providers um, about what my capacity and abilities used to be and the baseline I'm trying to get back to being different than what their standard tests measure. And so I really, like, it's hard to even say how grateful I am for having Charlie with me on those earlier appointments and also having providers that really listened. Um, Because when we went to see the neurologist and, you know, we were able to tell her, you know, Angela has a genius level IQ. Angela used to be able to do complex problems in her head or see patterns that other people didn't normally see or remember obscure thing like whatever it was like being able to explain to her what my normal was has actually made it such that I've been able to talk to the other providers about it and 
in the way they're doing exercises with me and taking me through this program, they know that maybe if it's showing up that like this is within a normal range, that's still nowhere near what I would hope for. It doesn't mean nobody has made any promises to me that I am ever going to get back to where I was before. And it's not even an expectation right now, actually. Um, Would I like to? Of course. But I'm just trying to take this day by day. But I'm really glad that you brought that up, Charlie, because it can be utterly frustrating and devastating to be in a place like this so vulnerable and for the providers or the people you go to who you really need their help from to not either have an advocate with you or them not being trained well enough to really listen to what it is you need. Longtime listeners with a great memory might recall that our last podcast together was about having advocates in the medical system. Oh my gosh, you're right. It was, because that was when we were dealing with the stuff with my mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. And so apparently we have another episode. (laughs) Right. Centered, not centered, but at least it touches in on that. Um, Yeah, it's it's important to have buddies, like, and, and to go in there and... You know, we have a lot of experience in advocating for ourselves, for each other, for family members. Um, and it's helpful to have folks that have, um, you know, done way too much research on Angela's part, right, on some of this medical stuff to, to know to ask the questions. Um, so, yeah. And no, it's what's so hard, though, about this particular area is on the mental side of things you might not know that you've lost it. Mm. You might not like remember that your, your memory's gone and you've experienced yeah. that, yeah. but like um, it's harder to know whether it's just age, whether it's just all sorts of things that are sort of keeping that. So like, you know, it's difficult because neither of us go around like with Mensa cards and explaining <laughs> any of that kind of whatnot. Cause, ugh. Mm-hmm. um, but if, you know, you've got a particular genius and, and maybe it's not mental, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, like advocate, like tell people where you are on those sort of things. Like for, for me, um, Angela had that raw horsepower and processing speed always has. I've had a rock, like just a lock box of a memory. Right. And so I know when I'm distressed or when I'm not doing well, if I can't remember things Mm -hmm. and I'm losing the grips of thing and I don't remember what random page something was or where it was in the book, I'm like, "Mm, I am incapacitated in a way Mm -hmm. and I need to address that Mm -hmm. because I know what my normal is and my normal is that's a trained intelligence that I have or a native capability that I've had. and, And I know when it's gone. Everybody around me knows when it's gone, and it's really, really frustrating. Um, And so the challenge here is that a lot of our executive and owner-level work in PF is a lot of braining. Oh, yeah. It's it's heavily sort of cognitively taxing. Angela handles a lot of our, let's just call it CFO-level stuff, Mm -hmm. capital bases, like where stuff's coming, like are we getting all the credits that we need to for different things, HR like she's really the money boss and not just on the day-to-day bookkeeping, but on the higher level, like where are these things that have we, what have we applied for? How do we talk to our accountant? How do we talk to our bookkeeper? How does she make sure the visionaries on your team, <clears throat> not me, um, <laughs> are making sure that we stay somewhat between something like financial prudence? Like those are really high level concepts, but then there's also the writing that she does, especially a lot of her writing, which you'll start seeing more and more of around heart-based leadership around really taking care of yourself, self-care, that's heavy braining. Yeah. Team communication and correspondence is heavy braining. Um, what she does in the in the PFA Academy, or excuse me, in the Academy, a lot of braining of, of that sort of scenario. So at the same time that she's got these 11 hours of really intense brain training that's happening and retraining going on, she's hanging on to maybe a bit too much. Maybe. (laughs) We're, um, it's a work in progress. And I will say that I have certainly let go of more than I ever have before. Um, And it's incredibly frustrating when you're the type of person 
that that you get frustrated about in the world, like the person who just holds on to too much and is constantly tired or exhausted or not at their best, and you're faced day in and day out with the reality that you have become that person. Um, and so I have had to lean on Charlie probably more than I've ever been willing to before. Not that he hasn't been offering <laughs> or there, but I had to be willing to accept and allow. And same goes for teammates um, and for friends. I have had to accept help, but I've also had to learn how to ask for it in the way that I most needed it. So am I still doing too much? Yes. I, I'm not going to argue or fight about that. I am. And it's getting better. And I feel like I am doing a better job of focusing on the highest value thing I can be doing in our business with the limited amount of actual time in the day because of the appointments. But more than that, the energy and the brain capacity. Yeah, so we're going to go down some of the things we've been learning specifically. I know we've been talking a lot about learning and navigating the medical system and some of the preliminaries. Not that we haven't been learning, but much more practical, mm-hmm. sort of tactical. I know some of y'all don't like when I use that word because it's military connotations, but um, sort of the day-to-day things. Here are some things that we've been learning together. And so I'm going to be, Angela, I'm going to be the list holder so you can Thank be the talker you. on that okay. one. Um, and so this first one is going to be something we are going to have at least one other podcast about mm-hmm. or one other episode about, but we have to mention it here. Mm-hmm. And it's how much the load of house bossing was on your brain. Oh gosh. Yeah. It, um, I feel like there's so many caveats I could start with, but you know, what I will start with is The amount of um, family work, housework, care work, that's actually what it comes back to, care work, that I was doing, even though I have been full-time in our business for quite a while now, was, just to be frank, it was inhumane. And it wasn't, it wasn't balanced, and it wasn't what it should have been. Um, and it wasn't until, and this is the part where I say, like, this is where I saw myself in the mirror and I was frustrated with that person. Like that person I see out in the world was me, that there were ways that I could probably have gotten more support, but I either felt like it wasn't available or that it was too much to ask for or that it wasn't going to be done the way it needed to and the time frame it needed to or honestly even though I don't believe in this bullshit <laughs> that it was my job to do because I was a woman and it was absolutely apparent um when Charlie and I sat down um and actually took a look at everything I do to take care of us our small little family unit our extended family our elderly cat, and everything else it takes to just be a damn human in the world. It it was ridiculous. Um, and that's before a brain injury, right? It was already ridiculous. But sometimes you have to get to this point where it's just utterly painful, beyond comprehension painful, before you really do something about it. And I'm sad in some ways that that happened again, Um, that it had to get that painful for a huge change and shift to happen. But I'm not sad that it occurred and now the other work is happening to make me and us better and healthier. Yeah, I'll tag in on here. Like we've had lots of conversations through the years about this balance of house bossing and how much work we each do. Mm-hmm. And part of what got set up this year is between the book and between the app and between a lot of uh, and my coaching schedule. Um, it was kind of one of those um, overload by, you know, 
a temporary yes, like we can do this, we can do this until it just got too much. Right? <laughs> Overload by t- both of us saying yes too much. <laughs> well, I wrote a book about that. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will also say, um, and Angela, you can push back if you want, like, I've been whispering about some of this for a long time. We had a, you know, we had a solution in place. We're about to go and what we've done mm-hmm. a few years ago and it did not work out. Yeah. But I've been like, hey, maybe we can, maybe we could do like in that sort of scenario. But it, it came to a head, no pun, in, no pun intended, when, you know, we were talking about Angela doing this um, post-concussion rehab. And I'm like, this is like a part-time or full-time job. Yeah, you. I mean, you mentioned a minute ago, eleven hours. Like it's actually eleven appointments, and many of them were at least an hour. Not counting, not counting the driving. Yeah, not back counting and forth. the driving and the freaking recovery. So yes. Yeah, um, but what's frustrating about sort of those appointments is she'll be worn out both emotionally and mentally, and then have to drive home, mm-hmm. which is that additional taxing sort of thing there. And then usually transition quickly to some meeting because she was running behind or wedging things in yep. or something like that. So it was just constant brain tug, constant brain tug. And then the around sort of everything going on and, and, you know, um, house bosses, I'm not going to say women or men, I'm just going to say house bosses. Y'all know how much of that stuff goes on. And so, um, what we did was I sat down and I was like, okay, we got her to agree. So here was Charlie's negotiation <laughs> strategy here. One, one, get her to agree to do the post-concussive rehab and make it a project. Got that locked in. Two, counting the displacement that that's going to be. It's like, what are you going to let go of? And I knew she was not going to let go of the CFO stuff in the business. I knew she was not going to let go of the creative stuff. And I knew she was not going to let go of PFA. Mm-hmm. So it's like, great. Got those locked in. Which means we have to have a solution. Oh, gosh. I already know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Which means we were able to say, what else can we let go of? Mm-hmm. And it was the household management and cooking and all those sort of things. And the thing about it is we were already out of integrity with where we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Like we were ordering food way too much. We were throwing away way too much food. We just did not have the time nope. to, to do what we needed to do. So we sat down. And it's like, hey, let's just capture all of the responsibilities related to household management and cooking and PD management and things like that. So we sat down for like two and a half hours. So painful. So painful. This is why it's helpful to have a a husband who's also an executive and business coach because we could just list it all out as jobs and duties and responsibilities. Painful. So painful. Oh, we're about to talk about something else painful too. But anyways, um, so what we did is actually ended up seeing that we needed to have a personal assistant slash personal chef come in. We call her her house boss or house bo- angel, house angel or angel boss. She's got a lot of different names. Mm-hmm. We're super early into this process. We are going to talk about this more, but um, this person is full time. She comes in. Um, we love her to death. Um, mm-hmm. She's currently out because one of her kids are sick mm-hmm. um, today. Um, but been a game changer. But I will say that's where that's what we were able to shake off is this piece. I realize we are incredibly fortunate and blessed with our oh business gosh, setup so to be able to so. do this. Yes. Also, that was part of what we had built, <laughs> right, to be able to do this. Um, but just as a spoiler alert, there has been plenty of identity shifts and shame stories um, and just all sorts from both of us, not just Angela, but mm-hmm. it's like, why can't I help out more? Why can't I do more? Right. Um, and again, we'll talk about this in a future episode because it's its own. Episode. It's a whole like I feel like it's like a three part series yeah. or something. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to pull down the cognitive load of house bossing, we hired that out. Um, to have our, you know, angel boss come over and do all of those things. And y'all, when we listed out what that is and we might, if enough of y'all ask me, yeah, we'll share what that list is. Ugh. Right. But when you see it, you're like, there's no way that this could be done by a person. And then that person have a full time and a half job. It can't happen. Yeah. Right. A full-time job and recovering from a brain injury. And recovering from a brain injury. So all of y'all holding it down. We see you. Yeah, we do. In such a different way. We appreciate you. And maybe that future conversation might be something that you might want to listen to. Again, it will pull up a lot of identity and shame stories and things like that. But it's something we should be talking about because what we're doing, 
Mm-mm. is not working. Mm-mm. The second thing that we really started learning and really focusing on is how Angela's schedule had been lying to her. So this is a painful thing number two. Mm. Pulling out all the painful things. <sighs> don't be giving me those hate eyes. Don't be <laughs> don't be doing that. You agreed to talk about it. I know I did. It's on the list. Yeah. Um, I probably won't say as much about this because honestly, scheduling and time blocking and priorities are like so much more your thing than mine. But y'all. I gotta say, living in the same house as, like, the productivity expert is really frustrating, but also incredibly beneficial. Um, Charlie, I think part of it, I think there's a bit of a weakness with me right now in that, like, you're like, I think we should talk about this thing. It will support you. And I'm just not able to fight back as much anymore. So anyway, that's that's a half joke there. But um, I, I, I'm just going to call it as it is. Um, from the company that brings you momentum planning, <laughs> one of the founders was not doing momentum planning and thought she could just skate by with, you know, only meetings on her schedule, not taking into account everything else I was doing in my life. So I could look at my schedule and be like, oh, look at that. I only have three meetings today. Instead of, oh, you need to prep for that meeting. You've got two hours of admin to do. You've got meals to make. You have an appointment to go to. When you actually do this thing that Charlie created that's really super helpful, dang it, um, it's incredibly eye-opening and illuminative and also really frustrating. <laughs> so here's why people don't do it. It shows you the it, real constraints and limits. Yeah. Right. And so um, and what we're talking about is instead of just having three meetings, like a 11, 1, and, and 3 on mm-hmm. your schedule, like actually look at the prep time you have before them, but also putting in your focus blocks. Yep. And naming what you're going to do with them. So there's a strict way of planning that we talk about sometimes. Which is what I need right now. Which she needed the strict planning, but it's like, oh, you have that focus block. Like, what are you going to do with that? She's she's like, I don't know. Like, do I really have to name it? I'm like, no, you've got this meeting that's about finances. You need to do your prep work. And that's the only thing you can do. But she's like, but what about all the other things? And I'm like... Yeah, no. So what happens when we don't actually do that and we don't do this sort of strict process mm-hmm. is we cheat and then we overcommit yep. to how much time it actually takes to do things. Mm-hmm. But then we're always behind. We're always frustrated. We're always sort of that. So And we're disappointed and in we're ourselves. And we're disappointed. So, y'all, yeah, the, the cooking, sometimes it ain't the best, right? It doesn't taste the best, but it actually is really nourishing. So I'm just saying on this one, it's what we've been doing is sitting down. Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, what's your week? And then she's mad at me for the rest of the evening, that evening. But then the rest of the week, she's actually getting it done and, and a bit more at peace. Mm-hmm. Because she's not having to mentally juggle all the things that she needs to do. It's either on the list or it's not happening. Yeah. And that's frustrating when you're doing the planning because you have to let go of it. And we've talked about how much of the planning process is this emotional process of letting go. Mm-hmm. But it's incredibly helpful because she can straight up just look at her schedule. Mm-hmm. Be like, that's what I'm doing today. And if it's not on there, I'm not doing it instead of just juggling and carrying it. So yeah. anything else you want to say about that? Um, I, I guess what I'll say about it, this is not a meant, meant to be a commercial for momentum planning or momentum planners, but y'all do the process. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the process, one of the things that we've started to reinvoke, and mm. it reminded me... Um, <laughs> Of one of the impetuses of me actually creating the Momentum Planners was not so much me, but it was Angela. Yep. Because of just some different things. We started to reinvoke the red, yellow, and green sort of blocking. So if you go back to some of the previous versions, mm-hmm. you you will see little um, checkboxes that, that illustrated sort of the heat map of the day. Was this a red meeting? Was this a yellow meeting? Was this a green meeting? We used to have that baked into the planning methodology. And I think we overcorrected in simplification and pulled it out. Mm-hmm. But not only are we doing the momentum planning where it's like, here's everything on there. But it's like, is that a red thing? So a focus block gets a red. 
red, you know, a recovery block gets green because it helps rejuvenate. Um, yellows are those things that are in between. And part of what we've seen since we've started doing the strict momentum planning using the color codes is just how much red yeah. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning are for Angela and why she's wiped out Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh gosh, I, you know, part of, I think we'll probably get towards this as we start to wrap things up too. But one of the things I can say from this is even though I feel like I am still deep in the throes of this, this rehab, I mean, I really am like, there's, there's a lot more to go. There are already things I am grateful for. And um, those are things I have to remember on the really bad and hard days. And I'm also so hopeful for what these things are that I'm learning right now and take and that I'm going to take them with me and continue to use them. Um, and so I like I highly encourage um, people to think about like not just what's on your schedule, but what level of energy does it take from you? And don't lie to yourself because you're just going to get to the end of your day or your week and it's going to hurt. Yeah. It's kind of this bad cycle where you're lying to yourself on this side and then you're beating yourself up on the exactly. backside. It's just painful. And y'all suffering has, a, our life has its own suffering baked into it. We don't need to heap on more. Um, we don't need some of that extra sauce. Um, something else that, that I started nudging Angela to do is what I call sense naps. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of sensory overload stuff that we're minimizing. So yeah. it was the, the idea was, okay, Angela, put on the eye covers, like, you know, the ones you sleep with, your noise canceling headphones, get under a blanket and just lean back and chill. No mm-hmm. inputs for 10, 15 minutes. Um, and it's been really helpful because I can look at when she's wearing and I'm like, oh, it's a time for, I said worrying, but I don't mean I mean, W-H-I-R, worrying around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, it might be time for a sense nap. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it's just like what you already said. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been learning and working on with my speech therapist is about metering my energy. Um, and um, as well with that, go, go, what goes along with that is thinking about the inputs, like all the things I'm taking in at a certain time. And because I, I'm making up a number here, I hate that I'm doing that, but I feel like it's pretty close. I think it's something like 50% of what goes on in the brain has to do with the visual system somehow. It's higher, but yes. Okay. It, it's a lot. And so, um, you know, like he said, covering my eyes, putting on the noise-canceling headphones, getting under a blanket, um, and just tuning everything out. Um, It's kind of like it's the, um, you know, the at-home version of a sensory deprivation tank, right? Mm -hmm. Like, hmm, I need one of those at my house. Well, (laughs) we'll just put on the eye cover, put on the noise-canceling headphones, get yourself into a warm, comfy position, um, and just limiting those inputs for a while, the visual stimulation, the auditory stimulation, um, the uh, olfactory <laughs> sensations, like whatever you can um, is really helpful for people who um, I, I would imagine get overstimulated easily, um, but also when you're dealing with a concussion. Absolutely. Well, you got to think all of those inputs are something that your brain is processing. Yep. Right. So the relationship between sound and sight and smell and height and standing and warmth, like your brain is constantly monitoring all of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just sometimes good to just be like, you don't have to monitor all these things. Let's just, you know, create the sensory white noise, as it were, Mm -hmm. and then sort of sit in that. I want to share this piece and I like it may sound a little strange and I hope it's not offensive. Um, But one of the things that my counselor shared with me maybe about a month ago when I was really going through some of the hardest parts of this is um, she's she if I'm remembering correctly, I think she may have a child with autism, but I might be remembering incorrectly. But she's definitely worked with a lot of patients with autism Um, 
And one of the things she mentioned to me is, you know, you're in the way that your brain is working in some ways right now, it's similar to what happens um, with people who have um, autism, the, the overstimulation and what happens. And so, you know, I know it's not specifically what we're talking about in this moment. I feel like it was something we started with that this has really given us both um, another perspective um, and a real a reawareness of the neurodiversity, mm-hmm. right? Of not just us and our team, but of our community, of the world, um, and really just how differently we all take the world in, um, and and what that means for how we how we are in the world. All right, there's a lot of things we could continue to cover, but I'm going to end on the one that's going to probably be your favorite which is how to ask for help and accept it. Uh-uh. <laughs> we'll save the hardest for last. Right? Yeah. Um you know, I know because I feel like I know our community so well, um especially our academy, um I know that I am not alone and I know this is not just unique to our community or our clients and Doing a good job of eating my own cooking um, and what I share um, and allowing for and accepting help. And so I think that one of the biggest takeaways for me from this thus far is just how... how much we need each other and depend on each other. Um, And not just during the hard times, but literally day in and day out. Um, And what can it look like when, especially when it's not in the hardest, you know, of times in a similar situation where we open up and we allow and accept the help that people are there and ready to give and want to give, um, not taking that gift away from them. Um, many people want to help. Um, they want to um, be of service, be of support, and be part of your journey with you, right? And so for me, um, it's been the allowing and accepting of help in so many different ways. Um, but the other thing has been also the asking, right? You can allow, you can accept, and those are definitely muscles to work on, but you also really have to work on the asking piece of it. And and I know for me, um, I've had a hard time throughout my life, whether it be, you know, childhood stuff, being a two, you know, whatever it is, it might be being a woman in our society with really taking up space um, and asking for what I need. Um, even though it's something I, I feel like I can help people with all the time. Um, it's part of my teaching. It's part of the work I do. It's one of the things I've suffered, I've suffered with. I've suffered. Um, because I didn't do the work that I really needed to do. Um, and so for me, you know, like I said, there have been a lot of lessons here. Um, and the big one is on speaking up for what I need, asking for it, allowing and accepting it. But also, I feel like this has really made me face my own integrity in the way I am in the world on a deeper level than I maybe have in many times past because it's not okay for me to teach these things and ask these things of other people and not do the damn work myself. And I'm not saying that to like be hard on myself because there's plenty of other, you know, there's plenty of that out there in the world already, right? But it's more just an awareness of myself and my limitations and what they have been, what I'm no longer comfortable with, and being willing to take up space. So well said. Um 
In case you heard being a two and she confused you, oh, she meant being an Enneagram two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, another Enneagram drop, which one of these days we'll get around to actually recording that. <laughs> you know, while so much of this, well, I'll pause and say this. One of the biggest shifts in our relationship mm-hmm. is that I don't have to fight Angela as much to help her. Right. There used to be a lot of tug and pull. So when I mentioned like my negotiation strategy for getting like that was for real how this yeah, had to work. Not a joke. Not like, a joke. I was like, okay, here's how I have to approach this. Otherwise she won't <laughs> she won't hear me and let it happen for different reasons. And so mm-hmm. part of this um the gift of this struggle mm-hmm. is that we just got too worn out. Like we had to surrender to it. Yeah. And I say we as a family unit, like while so much of this has been focused on what Angela is going through, each of those things that we listed above, I've had catalytic changes myself. Yep. I've looked at it and said, hmm, maybe I need to look at my own rate scheduling. Maybe I need to go back and start, you know, I have been, I've internalized so much of the momentum planning process that it's pretty native to me and I didn't have to do it to the degree Angela does, but I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? For this next little bit, I'm putting stuff on the schedule. Turns out teammates keep putting stuff on my schedule anyway. So that's, there are two conversations. But one is I can go ahead and get this on my schedule. Like when it comes to the parts of the household management that I was doing, it's like, what's it feel like to let that go? Right. There are a couple of weekends ago where Angela was out for, um, for a trip with her girlfriends and they were doing whatever they do when they go away, which I highly recommend that folks get people out of the house. But anyways... I woke up and that Saturday morning, I was like, this is the first time in my life that I've woken up and there hasn't been chores or a honeydew project or something that I needed to do that was going to eat up my weekend Mm -hmm. um, in my life. And, you know, I was like, wow, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Except for vacation, obviously. But like at home, at home, sitting there chilling on a Saturday morning being like, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that's unpa- that's unfurling for that, which is why we're going to have another conversation about that. But each one of these, I've come back and said, you know what? If it's making our work and life easier on Angela's brain, it would probably make our work and life easier on my brain too, which is a weird way of coming back to where this work at Productive Flourishing started. <laughs> Like, if you go back to 2008, yeah. 2009, 2010, what I was talking about is how do we have tools and insights and techniques and planners that actually help us with this decision fatigue and help us monitor energies? Like, that's where we started. Yep. And apparently, that's what we needed to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We're going to keep unfurling things as we learn them. You might see some of these concepts start to come back in a whole different way in the work of protective flourishing because we're having to eat our cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I'll say here is, look, y'all, we go through phases in our life where we are temporarily disabled, temporarily incapacitated, temporarily just not at our best. And one of the best things that we can do in those periods is not try to pretend that we're at our full sort of capacity as far as expectations and capabilities and all those things. And instead of saying, you know, in for this period, here's where I am. I'm temporarily disabled or I'm temporarily, you know, incapacitated or I'm temporarily, you know, not at my best. And I'm going to plan around that, which is a whole project plan around that, have those conversations around that because your options are to pretend that you're at a hundred percent, and fall really far from that mm-hmm. or to acknowledge that you might be at 60%. But what if 60% is actually enough? Yeah. What if 60% was actually enough for you to do what you need to do in the world and take care of yourself at the same time? Just going to leave it at that. Angela, so much of this has been about you. I've sort of left us, not about it, it's been about us, but I've left it with what if 60% is good enough? Um, Just as a wondering, what would you like to leave our listeners with? (laughs) Gosh, there are so many other topics. Um, Wow. So many podcasts you and I have yet to sit down and be able to do together. Um, I, th- I think what I'll say, you know, just to 
partner with you on how you how you ended that is you have to be honest with yourself about where you are and where your capacity is and it has to start there and you need to let your team your partners your people know that as well um if you run off pretending like you're at a hundred percent other people think that of you as well and they're going to continue to engage with you as if you are at that 100%. It's not fair to you and it's not fair to them. It's not fair to your team, your business, however and wherever you're doing that. So um, for me, again, this has been just a an enormous blessing. Um, and I'm going to remind myself of that like the next time I'm having a really hard time, which could be any minute now or any day now <laughs> um, with this journey. But um, TBI is a big deal. Um, it impacts everyone in a very different way. And even though we're talking here specifically today about my journey and what it has re-emerged for us as a business and a team and as a couple, I would really like for people to take away from this as well. Are there other areas of my life or in my business where there are easier ways to do this that aren't as taxing on my brain, my spirit, my heart, my system? How do I simplify? And how do I make this a better environment for myself and for my people? Wonderful. Alrighty, that's going to be it for today's episode. <laughs> episode. That's going to be it for today's episode. Until next time, stand tall, start finishing, and work better together. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.